Okay, we continue in Colossians today, and if you want to follow along in your Bible, we're in Colossians chapter 2. We'll finish chapter 2 today. We'll look at verses 16 to 23. The uh, <laughs> My kids came to me this week, and they said, hey, we'd like to get some rocks for school. Rocks. I guess it's a fad they put them in their desk. And I was like, oh man, I missed it. When I was in school, we used books. <laughs> but it's a thing, I guess. It's rocks. They get, they said, no, dad, we'll go to Jaeger's and they have for a little box, a little bag of rocks you can get for $2. And they, they went yesterday and got some and they brought them home and they dumped them out. And I was, I was amazed. They're beautiful. They're those kind of shined rocks, you know, they're different colors. There's gray and pink and blue and shot through with different minerals. And those are, you just look at each one, and you're like, wow, that, that's kind of a treasure right there. I guess my heart for you, who are in our family, this morning especially, is that you would have a sense of what a treasure you are to God. You are a treasure. If you have put your faith in Christ, God adores you. And each of us, though we're different, though we have different strengths and weaknesses, though we have different failures and flaws, we're loved by the king. And and we say we believe that, but I'll tell you what. Most of us live in some semblance of uncertainty over that. And and, and it's it's not, I, I'm going to call it fear. It's some sort of fear, but not fear in the sense of I tremble because I don't, I'm afraid of God, or I think somehow he's out to get me with a lightning bolt or something like that. But this uncertainty that creeps in of, am I doing it right? Am I living the Christian life right? Am I taking a right step or a wrong step? Or, or, and, and what can come in is uncertainty and fear. So I, I want to see Cho today from the text that Paul is dealing with that for you and I, that we might not have uncertainty, that we might not live in fear, that we might actually see the life that we live in right now is a life after death. Now, we talked about this as part two from last week, and it all goes together, this text that we're in from the first part of chapter two. And I called it life after death, because normally when you and I hear life after death, I said, let's talk about life after death. You think heaven. After I die, I'll be going to heaven. But actually, it's represented by the Bible, not as heaven, but as something that's happened to you now. That you and I who have put our faith in Christ, we have died, buried in his baptism, and then connected to him in his life. And so my value right now, my preciousness right now, is we're a bunch of failures, but we have Christ. It's an amazing thing. That treasure, that value, that identity, that peace, is what we need to really stand on, because different things start to come into our orbits to knock us off of that, to bring uncertainty from the reality of what we are in Christ. I want to show you, so we'll look at a couple of things, but this is sort of the theme statement that I have for us, is understanding how you're alive is the best way to avoid living in fear. And again, by fear, I don't mean trembling. I mean uncertainty that you're really his. Let's look at it. We'll look at three things that Paul brings in that we can, can get uncertainty in, and one is the fear of being judged. That's this first one. The fear of being judged. Verse 16, Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
So this is one sentence, this 16 and 17, and, and you go right into this life of Christ that we have. This first fear addressed really is a fear of judgment, right? He's saying, hey, don't let anyone judge you in these certain ways, questions of food and drink with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. And It's interesting, isn't it? You hear that. I hear that right away. I said, man, no, let no one judge me. And I think, okay, well, if I hear that somebody's judging me, I'm going to get them. So you listen around and you walk around the church and you listen. Oh, they're saying something. I tackle them and I pound them to the dust and I don't let them judge me. Is that what he's saying? That's not what he's saying. You can't stop what other people are going to say about you. But here's what he's saying. You don't take it in. This is a radical thing because if you're a believer and your only hope is in Christ, where's your value and identity? In Christ. When people want to poke at you or say that you should be doing other things, where's your life? It's in Christ. You don't have to take it in. You can let it go. Particularly in this environment, people were coming in, right? It's talking about people coming in to this little church, and they were coming in and they were attacking based on what's what's called the Judaizers. People that were saying you needed to do more than just trust Jesus. There are other things that you had it to do. In questions of food and drink, right? That, that, that's the, the law. The law has this whole code about what you can and can't eat. You, you this stuff about, hey, you gotta avoid pigs. You gotta avoid shellfish. You gotta make sure you don't eat animals with cloven hooves or these sorts of things. There are regulations that you did to keep yourself pure, to keep yourself holy, to keep yourself set apart as God's people. Not just that, but, but you get regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath and you start thinking, well, we don't. I'm a 20th century Christian. I don't do those things. But actually, it's talking about the law. It's talking about how there's, you know, for a festival, they had all these festivals. And in order to be part of God's family, you you kept these festivals. You kept these special days. There's the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Passover, different things. But not just that that we know of. There's a whole list of, of different festivals that you need to keep now that you're a Christian. These people are coming in and telling the church they're Colossae. You say, well, new moon, that sounds very pagan. No, not pagan. It's, it's from the Old Testament. It's like they were on a lunar cycle, and the first day of the month was a special day. They actually come in in Numbers 28. There's, there's the instruction there that every new moon they had to give a special sacrifice. Two bulls. To keep this relationship with God, to just mark it, to show it, to show that they were in fellowship, and there's everything was from God. And so there's things they were supposed to do. And then the Sabbath, you know the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's every seventh day you're to rest. So when it comes in and says, okay, somebody's coming in and they're coming to you and they're saying, hey, wait a minute. I think you're not living right as a Christian. You're not keeping the regulations that the Bible says you need to keep. And they bust out the Bible. And they bust out Leviticus, so they bust out numbers, and they say, hey, these are the codes, these are the things you should be keeping. And you know what enter, can enter into your heart? Uncertainty. It's not so much that you say, well, I, I need to go do all those things. It, it's, but it starts to breed in you this little piece of, man, I, I, I know I trust in Jesus, but is that really enough? Don't I also, oh, yeah, I need to do this or I need to do that. And pretty soon you're running around doing 25 regulations and things. When all your hope is in Christ. 
This is something that Paul says don't do. You say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Really? Do you take a rest day on Sunday? Do you keep the set? This has caused wars in the Christian church, you know. People have gone to war over this stuff. I had a friend who was in another church. He, he, um, he was going to a, a sporting event on Sunday. He was in leadership at this church. And he, and he you know, I'll throw in just... I, so say you train for a marathon and it was this run on a Sunday. Should you go to run? Everyone gets really quiet. You're not going to tell me you skipped church for the Super Bowl, huh? But we get these things. We say, hey, wait a minute. And someone comes up and says, wait a minute. Why did you skip church on Sunday? You went running? What are you doing? You can't do that as a Christian. What's that called? Keeping the Sabbath. Well, don't let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. Can you go run? Yes, you can. You can. But what? What can't you be? Knocked off your game that somehow you're not treasured in Christ because of what? A rule or something that you didn't keep. I mean, that's what he's getting at. And it, it gets very practical, very fast. And these things sneak into us. And there you go. I don't know. Did you ever see it? It's one of my favorite movies. It's old now and it'll mark me. Chairs of Fire. Oh, what a cool movie. I mean, the music and the guys running on the beach and the thing there. And it's two storylines. One's about a Jewish guy and his sort of uh, drivenness. And the other, though, is this amazing Christian man, Eric Liddell. Scottish pastor and missionary and ended up overseas in Asia testifying to Jesus, but he was a runner. And that's one of my favorite lines because I ran cross country was, oh, when I run, I feel his glory. It was cool. He'd run kind of funny. you know. But there was a scene where there were the finals of the hundred meters or some sort of thing was on a Sunday. And he said, I won't run on Sunday. And so they took him out of his event and they put him on to a 400 different event, and he ended up winning that event, and it was all this thing. It was this amazing testimony of standing on his principle for God and following the rules. And I thought, man, I'm going to stand for Sunday. To my question in that event, and, and, and not to take down or judge him. Judgment can go either way. Say, hey, he did what he, he's standing on the Lord, and I trust that his faith is right. But my question is, do you think there were other Christians who ran on Sunday? In the Olympics? Here's my answer. Of course there were. Are those guys less principled? Are they less loved by the king? Are they less going to heaven? Are they, no, of course not. But, but in our hearts, we, we like that distinction. We want to lift up something that we think that is there. And we start saying, well, that's the way that real Christianity should be. Nobody, we got to protect that Sunday thing and make sure. How often do you come to church? What? You didn't come to church last week. What are you doing? And you start niggling in. And you know what that is? There, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to come to church every week. There's nothing. It says something like, don't forsake fellowshipping one to another. That doesn't mean come to church every week. And yet in our hearts, we start to build a little wall. We start to build a little thing. And the little thing says, man, you're better. You're a more beautiful rock. If you come to church on Sundays. If you keep the rules, if you follow the regulations, if you do it all right, and, and you start to bring in the regulations from the Old Testament, and you start to do these things, and that's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, don't you dare be knocked off the reality that your only life is in your faith in Christ. 
Every good thing that you have, Jesus Christ did for you. Every reality that you have is the reality of Jesus. Every sin that you've ever done has been paid for. Every sin you're ever going to do is being paid for. How? By Jesus on the cross with his blood. And so I can tell you that I, I see and I look at you and you're a treasure. And I don't know whether you came to church last Sunday or not. I don't know whether you read your Bible this morning or not. Good things. You should do it because you'll learn more of Christ. We need each other. We need to be together. Those are all good things. Not saying a word about that. I'm talking about doubt coming in. Fear coming in. That you're not living right. And what it starts to rob you of is your joy and your love and your life. Paul says, watch out. These guys, they, they, they come in and they've come in here. Judaizers coming in saying, Christ is good, but you need more. You need to do more. It can be deadly. So, so it's not just this judgment. And by the way, this is a little sidetrack, but I need to do it for our body. Because in our body, we sometimes because we love the gospel so much, we say, hey, I love the gospel. The good news of Jesus, and I hold to it, and I stand on it. And then someone will come up to me and they'll say, hey, Dax, hey, Dax, let's get up at 4.30 every day for the next month and read our Bibles together and pray. Is that cool? Yeah, that's cool. Sweet. Do I have to do it? No, I don't have to do it. Neither do they. But it might be something that's really amazing. But what I sometimes am tempted to do is to say, 4.30 every morning, reading your Bible. Are you a legalist? Are you imposing judgment on me? If I don't do it. So, so you know how you can do, you can judge either way. You can pull back and you can push into people and say, Hey, because people have a passion and a joy to learn about Jesus and they encourage and want to do something with you, you got to be strong enough to say, you know what? I enjoy my sleep until 6.30 and I am free in Christ and you're not judging me and I'm not judging you. And here we are living for the Lord together. Praise God that you're getting up at 4.30 and praying. I love it. But you know, coffee wakes me up at 6.30. And there's no like judgment in any of that, right? On either side. But either side can start to have judgment about the other person. And you got to watch out for it. Because he's saying, don't take it in. Not that you don't slide there sometimes. Sometimes we do judge other people. We're falling. I look at you and I think, man, you should be better than you are. How come you're not like me? That's wrong. That's sin on my part. Your job is not to take it in on either side. We stay soft towards each other. We stay like, oh, you realize our only life is in Christ alone. That's where life is. And with that comes all these amazing other things that'll happen, and we'll see it in Colossians chapter 3. The put-ons and the put-offs and the loves and the do's. But I'll tell you what, you've got to be standing here first. You've got to be standing on, I'm adored by the king. I'm his rock. I'm only a rock. Okay, so we're there. But, but there's more. There's not just this judgment piece. There's also the fear that comes in of losing reward. Losing reward. Here, look what he says. In verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, of going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Okay, I, I, I said this is fear of losing reward because of that first phrase. It says, let no one disqualify you. So what does it mean to be disqualified? I mean, that phrase actually means, let no one rob you of your prize. You've got a prize, you see. You've got it in your hands. It's been given to you as a gift. His name is Jesus. You have life in him. 
You're loved in him. He adores you. And someone's going to come along, and someone will come along in your life. And they'll say, now, you haven't done enough. What's the danger? The danger is you'll lose the settled assurance that he adores you. And you'll, 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 you'll put in, he'll adore me if, and you'll fill in the blank with something. And you'll fill in the blank with something that's not true. It's just something something else wants to impose on you to control you. Like example, the examples he gives, right? He gives examples. He says, with insisting on asceticism. What's asceticism? It's like, well, I don't asceticism. I don't know what that is. I don't do it. That's, that's control of your body, right? That's finding your um, value in this idea that you're going to be very disciplined and controlled about what you eat and drink and do. Hyper body control. We see it sometimes, and I mean, you think that you don't do this, but I'll tell you, we slide. If I was going to bring up here, I won't, except you're already looking at one, a fat person. And I'm going to bring up here a skinny person. You don't know anything about them. And you say, who's more spiritual? Nine out of ten people will pick the skinny one. Because that's our culture. We get this idea that to be controlled, self-control is a good thing, you know. Gluttony is a bad thing. So you think, well, that person must be this way and that person must be that way. And we start to go after the control that we can have over different areas of our life. And we, we then impose that control on other people. And, you know, there's these heavenly beings that are so holy. And look, at we, sh- we should be about holiness and worshiping this holiness and displayed in the angels. And they were going into that. Or visions where I have a vision about what you should do and what you should worship. You're not doing that. And people start to try and control you and put their image of what they think worship of God is on you. When they do that, they start to rob you of something. What? Your prize. What's your prize? Come on. It is Jesus, but that's kind of like saying the Sunday school answer, right? What's the answer? Jesus. This is the thing. If you're loved by the king and you know it because you have been saved by grace alone, you're treasured. Your life is to be lived, and he's given you a beautiful life, even with all of the circumstances that you may struggle with, even with whatever health problems you may deal with or financial problems you may struggle with. You have a life that has been given to you by God that you enjoy on this earth. And, and often, often, often what we do is we allow other people to rob us of the joy of that, the gift of life we've been given in Christ. We don't just, because we're always, we're always looking around going, well, 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 maybe I need to be doing this more, or maybe I need to be doing that more, maybe I'm doing that more. A little self-examination is fine, but we hyper do it. We have no peace. Because we're constantly thinking, well, maybe we should do over here. Maybe, did you hear that book that guy wrote where he went to heaven for 25 minutes? And he came back and he said that heaven is like this, and then he gave me these principles to my life by, so I start to live my life by those principles, and I forget that I have life in Christ. Not just life in Christ. He adores me. I walk around my whole life adored by Jesus. No matter if I've got 10 bucks or a million bucks. No matter if I have no kids or 20 kids. No matter if I have a job or not a job. I'm blessed by the king. Why? Because of the faith I have in Christ. And and don't let people pull you away from that. He says people get puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, by thinking about pride, about control, about what you can do, especially what you should do to grow. I mean, if you go into any Christian bookstore, it's 10 steps to grow in whatever area of Christianity that you should be growing in. Grow, 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 grow. 
What does this say? How do you grow? Look, don't let anyone rob you of your prize. You, you're in Christ by giving you all these principles and this all over. Look, you need to hold fast to the head. That's what these folks aren't doing. They're into the principalities of it all. The principles and the, the, the do's. They're missing that all you do is you hold fast to the head. Who's the head? Jesus is the head. He from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through his joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. This is growth. Trust in Christ. Okay, that's all. It's like your hand, right? Man, I want my hand to grow. It would be really weird if my hand just grew to be twice its size. That would be funny. The whole body's got to grow. We're growing. And Jesus is in charge of that growth. So it's not about me kind of working out my hand to make it a bigger hand. It's about Jesus who knits us all together into a body that he's doing. He's already prepared the works we're doing. He's already at work among us. He, and, and we sit back and we go, whoa, I'll tell you, I'm going to act and I'm going to do out of love and all these things that are come from me, but it's all in this reality that I'm so loved by the king. I got to get that first. I got to breathe that air. I can't let anybody push me off with funny philosophies or, or human traditions like we saw last week, right? This is super important to our lives. Okay. So this is the, this is the thing, right? We're prone to take our value and our vision from ourselves and we, what we can determine. But G, Paul says Jesus Christ is everything. It's not your service of him, but his connection to you and all of these things that he lists are all about finding value in yourself in your actions, in your observance of religion, in your accomplishing some task that you are really at its base often thinking, hey, God will be really happy with me. When the truth is God adores you in Christ. Let me give you just a really fast two examples. One is in Ephesians 1. We've been studying this in our our Tuesday lunch thing. and There's a verse in Ephesians 1, 18. I didn't get a, a slide for it where it says, what amazing thing it is. Let me read it if I have it. Do I have it there? Where, where, where it calls us that you might know, is, is Paul's prayer, what is his glorious inheritance in the saints. When I say inheritance, I usually think of the inheritance God's giving me. I have inheritance in heaven, First Peter says. I've got things happening where I've got inheritance. Paul flips it in Ephesians. and He says, you should know what an inheritance you are for, for God. You're God's inheritance? He's getting a raw deal. He's getting a bunch of rocks. And then you realize, no, in Christ, he treasures us. And he's saying, you're my portion. You're the people I want. I've got you. That's an amazing thing of how God just adores you. It's absolutely, amazingly incredible. I just, I, I love it. And then the, the parables, you know, you get this idea of the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl in a field and the merchant sells all he has and he goes and he grabs it. The kingdom of heaven is, is like a, a man who loses a sheep and he drops everything and he runs and gets the sheep. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who loses a coin and, and drops everything and goes after that lost coin. What is the coin to the woman? Something of great value. And it says the angels in heaven rejoice. With God, when the lost is found. Why? Because God loves the lost. Who's the lost? You and me. That that's who it is. We're, and so the, our value is here in, in Christ loving us. And 
What a treasure we are. And what a danger that we might not have a rejoicing life because we get pushed off the wonder of a God who owns everything, but he adores us. One more thing, and then we'll be done. Because it's not just fear. These fears. It's not just a fear of being judged. It's not just a fear of losing some prize. It's also, we, we do a lot of uncertainty because we think we're going to take a wrong step. Especially, I feel, find in, when I'm talking to college kids or young adults, they're really worried about what their life's going to be like. And they're worried that they're going to take something wrong. But it's not just when you're young. It's when you're my age, too. I'm old. And people still, they worry about, well, maybe I'll do something wrong. Maybe I'll take a wrong step and then uncertainty can come in. Look what he says. If with Christ, verse 20, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Refer to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, and again, you've got to know as we go through, and we've hit this before, when the Bible says flesh in these ways, it's not talking about the bad things you do. It's talking about you, your ego, who you are, and your indulgences. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, if you died to the rules and the regulations and the laws, they're good, by the way, some of them. They're the principles of how the world works. They're merit-based living, and I understand it. They're things that, that, that advance me, that I can use to advance myself. And I die to that stuff, and I live only in Christ. Why do I want to go back? Why do I want to again go over here and evaluate how good or badly I'm doing in any given moment on a, a list of rules and regulations? What am I doing? I'm going right back to thinking, if I just had a list, a, a, a punch check, of all the things that I needed to do, I could get on them and I could be a better me. What's the better you? The actual better you is the one who's alive in Christ. How are you alive in Christ? By trusting what Jesus Christ did for you. Not by doing stuff yourself. Again, we go through this whole thing where if you trust this, there, there's fruit that's going to come out. There frees you to love. There's a whole list there. But you've got to live there first, right? There's no wrong step that's going to take you out of being a treasured possession of God if your faith is in Jesus. It's like, well, I really trust Jesus. Man, but I messed up there. Now God's really after me. No. The whole thing is, do you really love Jesus? And what's going to come out of a heart that trusts in Christ and doesn't trust in yourself, that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Okay. This was one of the principal appeals of Judaism in the pagan world. So to, to take you back to the Colossians church just for a minute, that they, they had a high moral standard. That's what the Judaizers had. And when you were tired of living in the muck of paganism and all the worldly stuff around you, then you were appealed to this, look, we've got it. We've, we've got a system, and it's a system that appeals to, to a, a high moral code, that, that you would have asceticism, you would beat your body, you would take it under control, you would have these rules. Tell you what, that appeals to a lot of people. I will control me. And then severe discipline, it makes you feel like you're advancing and progressing. It feels like it, but Paul says it's an illusion. <coughs> it actually doesn't help at all. 
You go that way and the street turns into a dead end. There's simply regulations that function at a worldly level. And so you'll give up a world of self-indulgence and a central mind and you'll start in on a, a world of self-indulgence of a spiritual mind. Same stuff. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. These are the danger of handling unclean or unhelpful things. They appear helpful, but they only promote yourself. And so Paul longs for Christians, new and old, to realize everything they are is in Christ. This is remarkable. (laughs) Really remarkable. I just think, here's from 1 John before we end. This is... There's no fear in love. We read this earlier. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears haven't been perfected in love. You see, you have a God, you and I do. And he loves you. His love casts out fear. His love casts out the uncertainty that you might otherwise have when you look in the mirror every day. When you look in the mirror and you see that you're not who you should be. When you look in the mirror and you see you're not, you're not even close to what you ought to be. And, and, and yet you have a God who adores you. And your lack of, of ability to stand and say, it's Christ alone and I just hold on to him. I'm so grateful my whole life and I'm overwhelmed and I have no insecurities. Your lack of ability to do that just says you don't really trust in his overwhelming love. So my heart for you and me this morning is we might again understand We are loved by the king. We are free not to be bound by special days or special diets or attaining holiness or whatever self-made religion is out there, whether it's proposed by Christians or it's proposed by the world. And and, and hey, realize this, your freedom does allow you, it, it pushes you even to encourage you and I to be strong enough to take encouragement, exhortation, even people that push you too hard and you don't have to take it in. You're loved by the king. I'm tempted to look at me and see crummy, old rock, dirt. Because that's what we are, you know. From dust we are to dust we return. And I forget that in Christ, God looks at us and he sees these amazing, wonderful stones that are beautiful. That's who you are. Take it in. Live from there. Let's pray.